Our text this morning comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. Give ear to the reading of God's holy word. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you for this word that you have spoken. We pray now that by your spirit you would open our ears to hear it and receive it with faith. We praise you for the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who offered up this sign of Jonah as evidence that his ministry came from you. Father, may we learn what you would have us to learn. May we become those who you would have us to become. Would you bless us now through the preaching of your word in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. When Jesus came, announcing the arrival of God's kingdom and calling for repentance, he confirmed and illustrated his message by miracles, especially exorcisms and healings. But because the religious leaders of God's people were wicked and spiritually adulterous, they refused to accept his message. They claimed that he was doing miracles by the power of Satan. And even though Jesus responded by pointing out that this would be just as ridiculous as if the Chick-fil-A cows held up their signs telling you to eat more beef, it would be self-defeating and foolish for Satan to cast out Satan. The scribes and Pharisees still pretended that they had made such a good point that now Jesus needed to prove his ministry of healing people, casting out evil spirits, Jesus needed to prove that that wasn't, in fact, a demonic plot. Many of you are going to be familiar with C.S. Lewis's famous trilemma of whether or not Jesus was Lord, lunatic, or liar. For the scribes and Pharisees, this was their dilemma. Is Jesus divine or is he demonic? And so they ask for a sign. Not just another miracle. Uh, just a chapter ago in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist comes to Jesus and Jesus' response is, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised to life. And the Pharisees say, well, if only we had a sign. <laughs> but what they're asking for is not one more in the long list of miracles, but rather some confirmation that Jesus works for God rather than the devil. Show us something only God could do. And by demanding this sign from Jesus, they're not just trying to resolve an academic dispute. They're not just trying to figure out which team Jesus plays for. What's at stake is the response 
that Jesus has called them to. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then the scribes and Pharisees are going to need to do what he's called them to do, which is repent and believe the gospel. And so they're using this demand for a sign as an excuse not to repent and enter the kingdom of God. Unless we see a sign, they're saying, any repentance on our part would be premature and inappropriate. At one level, this sounds a little bit like wisdom. They're trying to be prudent and careful. They're asking for more evidence, making sure they're not following some trickster. But that's not what really is going on here. At this point, in light of all that Jesus has already said and done, their demand for more evidence is insulting. In fact, it's even immoral. This is not proper caution. This is hard-hearted spiritual blindness. And it's made worse and not better by the fact that they're trying to dress it up in wisdom's clothing. And because of this, Jesus responds very harshly. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, Jesus said. But no sign will be given to it. Except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is one of only two places in the New Testament that mention the name Jonah, the other one being uh, when Jesus refers to Peter as the son of Jonah. You'll have to ask me about that one after the service. But in this passage, we get to see how Jesus understands and applies Jonah. And because we have these verses here in Matthew, it's not enough just to preach through the Old Testament book of Jonah. We need to make sure that we're understanding Jonah the same way that Jesus understood Jonah. And it's a bit startling, isn't it, to see that Jesus uses what he calls the sign of Jonah as the only sign that will be given to establish the fact that his ministry is, in fact, divine and not demonic. If you want to know whether Jesus was sent by God or by Satan, ask Jonah. That's what Jesus is saying. That's remarkable. And because it's remarkable, we need to make sure that we understand what Jesus means. What is the sign of Jonah? The first thing that we should do is point out that Jonah wasn't a miracle worker. The sign of Jonah wasn't some action that Jonah performed. Strange things certainly happened to Jonah, but Jonah didn't work any miracles. He didn't do signs. He himself was the sign. And so the sign that Jesus is talking about, the sign that he's giving to the scribes and Pharisees, is not something that Jesus is going to do, but something that will be done to him and through him. And we should pay attention to this, and this should actually encourage us as we seek to imitate Jonah and Jesus in spreading the gospel message. Jesus doesn't change hearts by doing magic tricks on command to prove that he is who he said he is or to verify his message. And so for us, this means that you don't need to be a miracle worker to share the gospel. 
You don't need to be able to heal the blind or cast out demons in order to faithfully share God's message. I don't know about you, that's good news for me. You need to speak the message that you've been given and let God work through your life. Because that's what Jesus is saying when they ask him for proof. Look at my life, Jesus says, and if Jonah-like things happen, then there's your sign. Of course, not everything about Jonah maps onto Jesus. Most especially, Jesus isn't saying, just like Jonah ran away from God, I ran away from God. No, that's the great difference. Jesus saw even more clearly than Jonah did the consequences of the mission that he was sent on. And instead of running the other way, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and faithfully carried out God's work. Jesus is referring to the story of Jonah generally, not exhaustively. But in particular, he goes on to mention three important aspects of the Jonah story that are central to his own ministry. The first is, of course, Jonah's three-day journey, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the big fish. Look for something like that to happen in my ministry, Jesus is saying. And second, Jonah's ministry of preaching to the nations. You're going to call up the Ninevites at the judgment, Jesus said, and they're going to condemn you. Because third, the third proof that Jesus' ministry comes from God will be the miraculous repentance that follows the preaching ministry of Jesus. And all of this, Jesus sets forth in the context of responding to those who claim to be God's people. They understand themselves to be the ones who are shepherding and guarding God's people. But they're not, in fact, following God. And so if these Jonah-like things happen in my ministry, Jesus says, then you can know for certain that I'm from God, that my work is God's work. In fact, Jesus says, if you see this, then you skeptics and doubters will have absolutely no excuse for refusing to repent and believe. The Ninevites will rise up and condemn you because all they got was Jonah's preaching, and that was enough for them. What have you seen? What have you heard? It's the challenge Jesus sets forth to the Pharisees. You've had something far greater than Jonah. Jesus' preaching, Jesus' miracles, and now this sign of confirmation. The sign that Jesus gives works as a sign because it requires God to act in the future. Jesus is making this prediction. And if it doesn't happen, if none of this comes true, then Jesus is opening the door for the scribes and Pharisees to conclude that his ministry is not from God. And so this sign that Jesus has set forth requires God to act. And not just Jesus himself. Because think about it, Jonah clearly wasn't the active agent in saving Nineveh. Jonah tried as hard as he could not to save Nineveh. And yet Nineveh was still saved. The Pharisees are demanding this sign that only God can do 
And so if Jonah's ministry starts to reoccur and happen through Jesus' ministry, then the Pharisees will have been given yet another irrefutable sign, even though they already should have repented a long time ago. And of course, you know the story. You know what happens in the ministry of Jesus. It does fulfill the sign of Jonah. Jesus spends three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. His gospel is preached not just to Israel, but to the nations. And what happens? Massive waves of conversion and repentance and glory to God. A flood of conversions that results in mercy for the whole world. This is the sign of Jonah fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. But even there, even with this sign, people still try to doubt. They still try to find a way to, to wiggle out of this definitive proof that Jesus has offered, that his ministry is divine. And so they point to things like, well... When the Bible talks about the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, it says that he was raised on the third day. And so when we observe the celebration of the resurrection, we, we observe Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. But that's only two nights and one full day. So that's about 40 hours, isn't it? Rather than the, the 72 that we would be expecting from three days and three nights. So does this really count? But what that sort of dodge is assuming is a level of precision about how people use day and night that might not be intended by the author. Sort of like how we speak of the mathematical constant of pi. Everybody knows what pi is, 3.14. But any decent mathematician would be able to count it out at least to the 10th decimal place, if not further. So is 3.14 wrong? Well, no, it's just not as precise as possible. And so the same thing might apply to that phrase, three days, three nights. But it could also be that we tend to assume that the heart of the earth is a reference to the tomb. And it might be, but it might not be. I think there's actually good reason to think that Jesus is referring to his time in the city of Jerusalem, his entire Arrest and trial, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And so Jerusalem, then, would be the referent for the heart of the earth, which would be defined in relation to the ends of the earth, which is where, in verse 42, just one verse beyond what we read this morning, uh, the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, comes from the ends of the earth, where? To Jerusalem, which makes sense to be the heart of the earth from the perspective of God's people. And so this could be a way of describing Jesus' time in the city of Jerusalem, including, of course, but not limited to his time in the tomb, in the grave. But at the end of the day, this is a dodge. This is not a serious objection to the sign of Jonah, determining exactly how Jesus' three-day journey of death and resurrection maps onto Jonah's three-day journey of death and resurrection. That's... That's not the point. The point is that they both went through these three-day journeys of death and resurrection. That's the point of comparison. That's the sign. And it's being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So what happens after that? 
Is there gospel preaching that goes to the nations? Well, of course there is. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, he inaugurates this preaching mission to the nations. And the resulting repentance and conversions have been nothing short of miraculous. It began, of course, at Pentecost. And who preached the first sermon? But Peter, the son of Jonah. And what happened? 3,000 people converted that day with thousands more following closely behind. And so if any Pharisees observe this happening and call to mind the promised sign of Jonah, this is what they would have seen. Jesus going on a three-day journey of death and resurrection. The gospel preached to the nations and astonishing repentance and the mercy of God extending all over the world. At every point, something greater than Jonah is here, just like Jesus said. Jonah was swallowed by a whale, came right up to the point of death. Jesus was swallowed by Sheol itself, died, laid in the grave, and was then raised to life. Jonah preached to one foreign city. Jesus sends his gospel to the ends of the earth. Jonah grudgingly, grumpily, saw God's mercy extend to 120,000 Ninevites for a generation or two. God's mercy in Jesus has saved billions of people for all eternity. For Jesus, the book of Jonah is a preview of what God would accomplish through his own ministry. Jonah was the sign. Jesus was what that sign signified. As we saw last week, what happened to Jonah, the individual, also referred to Israel as a nation. And here in the New Testament, we see this further fulfillment that applies to the whole world. And so for us, we should apply the book of Jonah, the sign of Jonah, fulfilled in Jesus, to each of these levels as well. There's a message here for us as individuals. There's a message for us corporately. And there's a message for the whole world. But for you as an individual, you need to ask yourself what you think about Jesus. You need to use this sign for those who know the story of Jonah. What do you make of Jesus? Was his ministry divine or was it demonic? None of that nonsense about Jesus simply being a good moral teacher. The sign of Jonah demands that you answer that Jesus' ministry was divine. And when you recognize that, when you see that, you know what it means for you. You're called to repent and believe the gospel. Put your faith in Jesus. And realize as well, many of you have done just that, have already made that commitment. That's why you're here. But realize, too, that Jesus came to call his own covenant people to repentance. And he comes to them first. If you're already a believer, the sign of Jonah still calls you to repentance. Jesus charges his own people with spiritual adultery. Not that they were strangers to the covenant, like the Ninevites, like those outside God's people, but that they were breaking the covenant. For God to send a prophet 
outside the bounds of his covenant people, to shower his blessings on people outside the covenant is a great mercy to those people. But it also sends a message to God's people. What message does it send when God takes your blessings and gives them to someone else? It's a sign to the covenant people that God has turned his attention elsewhere. Is it a sign that God has forsaken his people? No, of course not. But it is a sign that God's people have forsaken their God. And so in order to stir up a holy jealousy that leads not to anger or bitterness, like we see in Jonah, but to humble repentance, God makes his mercies, his covenant blessings, evident somewhere else. In this signal, unmistakable way, God's mercy is going to individuals. It's happening all over the world in in myriad ways that we don't always see. But when the nation that's attacking us suddenly converts as a whole, that's an unmistakable act of mercy, and it's meant to capture our attention and to make us wonder why God's blessings are happening over there and not here. Why are we not being blessed? Those are our blessings after all, right? Those are our covenant blessings. They belong to us. Why aren't they being given to us? Why indeed? That's the question God wants his people to ask so that they'll realize by turning away from God, we've turned away from those blessings. But are the blessings gone? No, they're given to those who repent. So what should we do? We should repent. We see this so clearly uh, in Romans 9 through 11. We don't have time to look there this morning, but uh, refresh yourself on those chapters when we get home. God makes it very clear. This is how he operates. When God's people wander, he sends them this spirit of jealousy by giving covenant blessings to those who don't deserve them to remind God's people that they don't deserve them either, but they're available to all who repent. Come back to your first love. That's the message when God's blessings go outside the covenant people. So for you, if you are in covenant with God and still walking in sin, then you're committing spiritual adultery. And Jonah and Jesus are giving you a sign that it's time to repent and to return, to come back to God. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh, he not only wanted unbelievers to come to him for the first time, but he also wanted to make his own people jealous so that they would come back as well. But as I said, the sign of Jonah is not just for individuals. It is for individuals, but it's also for God's corporate people. It's given to cities, to nations, to the world. And under the new covenant, the church is God's holy nation, not any one geopolitical entity like Israel under the old covenant. So maybe the closer analogy for us is to think about churches, congregations, or denominations. And just like Jonah died to give life to Nineveh, just like Israel died to inject God's people into the Assyrian Empire, just like Jesus died to give life to the world, there are churches, there are denominations that need to be swallowed up by a sort of death before God brings them up to new life. And we might consider in recent memory something like what happened to the the Southern Baptists a generation ago when they recovered biblical faithfulness and many of their churches returned 
to a, a new heartfelt devotion to the truths of the gospel. It's a remarkable thing. It doesn't happen very often when churches and denominations turn away that they come back. But it can happen. And praise God when it does. But it's not just out there. Every, every church will one day face a kind of death, whether it's a painful split from within, uh, whether it's the departure or retirement of a beloved minister or key elder or leader, or simply the need to just recenter everything in the church on Jesus after a time of, of drifting away, of losing focus. And sometimes our fear of death, our fear of that complete change of life, our fear of what it would cost us to re repent. Sometimes that keeps us from seeing the sign of Jonah. Death leads to resurrection. Resurrection leads to gospel preaching. Gospel preaching leads to repentance. Repentance leads to mercy and fellowship with God. So don't run from a call to die. The fulfillment of the sign of Jonah in the death and resurrection of Jesus is what results in the Great Commission, in the book of Acts, in the continued mission of the church today. Because of Jesus' three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in which he atoned for the sins of the world and was raised to life to preach the good news of mercy to all who repent and believe. Because of this, we disciples share in Jonah's sign. We're saved by the one who is greater than Jonah, and we serve that one who is greater than Jonah. As disciples of Jesus, our mission is the same as Jonah's mission. We are called by God to take a message of warning and a message of mercy to our neighbors and to the ends of the earth. But as followers of Jesus, we have a better example than a cantankerous prophet. For Jesus never once wavered from God's difficult call. He came to preach God's message, even though it would cost him his life. So in this, as we think about what it will cost us to speak up for God, to take the initiative, to reach out, to spread the gospel to those that we're put right next to, in our homes, in our work, wherever we go. Let's follow Jesus and not Jonah as we do that work. Because as those who live on this side of the cross and of the empty tomb, we have a greater sign than the sign of Jonah. We have the sign of Jesus. So hear and believe the sign of Jesus. In the face of unbelief and rebellion, our Lord spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, dying for our sins, being raised to life for our justification so that the good news might be preached to the whole world, that through this man, by repentance and faith, there is mercy available to all who come to God through him. Thanks be to God for the testimony of Jonah. Thanks be to God that something greater than Jonah is here and that his name is Jesus. May God bless the preaching of his word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together.
Our Father, we bow our heads to you in humble thanks that we, in our rebellion, run away from the presence of the Lord. But you, in your mercy, sent your Son to come after us, to save us, to show us the depths of your mercy and the heights of your love. And Father, as you renew us, you renew our call as well. You call us to serve you by speaking this message to a world on which you desire to have mercy. So make us merciful. Give us merciful hearts. Give us everlasting joy at the mercy we've received. Put bitterness and anger far away from our hearts. Fill us with the joy of the Lord to celebrate the mercy of God, the sign of Jonah, and its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. And amen.